Welcome to The Word at First Prez. Over the spring and summer, we are doing a sermon series called Philosopher Kings. The goal of this sermon series is to examine the life philosophies of members of our congregation and how those life philosophies intersect with the Bible. Our hope is that you will find that everyone has something to teach us about life, faith, love, and our relationship with God. I hope you enjoy. Our first reading today comes from the book of Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture lesson today comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. This is the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So again, I want to say it's just so great to be back together again. It's great to be able, I mean, we I preached outside, but to be in here, this is such the space to be a part of, and it's great that we can just feel like we're all together again. And you may remember, for those of you who have been watching online, that back in January, I asked people in this congregation, you all, the members, I said, would you send me your life philosophies? I wanted to know what your life philosophies were, whether it came from your families, from your life experiences, from your career, whatever it was, I wanted to know what had molded and shaped your life. Now, originally, when I envisioned this sermon series, I thought to myself, you know what, I'll take some of what you all have to say and I'll combine them with these great thinkers and it's gonna be this amazing series, right? But what happened was, I got so many of these life philosophies from you all, and they were so thoughtful, and they were so wonderful in their varied perspectives that I could actually create an entire sermon series just out of the things that you all gave to me. And so this sermon series is called Philosopher Kings. And up there you can see on the screen, that is Plato and Socrates, and they are kind of the two original Greek philosophers. And that term, Philosopher King, actually comes from Plato, and it's from his Republic. I want to read this line to you. He says, There will be no end to the troubles of states or of humanity itself until philosophers become kings in this world or until those we now call kings and rulers really and truly become philosophers and political power and philosophy thus come into the same hands. The idea behind this is that those who study, care about, 
and really implement philosophy in their lives, that these are the people who you would want to have as leaders in your world. Now, that might sound a little bit elitist, right? Because what do you think of when you think of a philosopher? What do you think? The, the middle-aged man sitting in this chair, he's got the speckled colored beard, right? And he's, he's puffing on a pipe, and he's thinking these deep thoughts. It's, it's kind of like, you know, TC, but just imagine him, but a little, a little more sophisticated, right? Like, like, you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> you know we're back now that we're taking the pot shots, right? Like, now you know we're back. So the thing is, is that when we think of a philosopher, that's what we think. We have this kind of vision in our mind of what a philosopher is. But it all depends on how you define it, right? The truth is, everybody has a life philosophy. Every single person in here does. Everybody has values and ethics that define their thoughts and their actions. Now, when you hear values and ethics, what do you think? Do you think, oh, that's like being moral, right? You're a good person. Is that what you're thinking, values and ethics? But that's, that's not necessarily the case. Stalin, Joseph Stalin, leader of Russia, he had values and ethics. They were brutal and self-serving and resulted in the deaths of 50 million Russians, but that's values and ethics. So the fact is, everybody has a life philosophy. The problem is, is that most people have not taken the time to figure out what that life philosophy is. It's kind of right under the surface for most people. It's kind of a subconscious thing. You go through life and you wouldn't necessarily know why you did something, but in the moment, right, you go and you do it, it feels like the right thing to do. Now, that's the exact opposite of what a philosopher does. A philosopher, they ask about the whys of life. Why do I think the way that I do? What are my assumptions? What are the flaws in my thinking? How does my thinking impact other people? How does it impact them for good? How does it impact them for evil? And most importantly, is there a distinction between my thoughts and my actions, or are those two things together? This is why Plato sits there and says, the people who we should be following are the people who follow a life philosophy. You with me so far? Okay. Now, that's not just true of trained philosophers, that's ordinary average people. And so each week, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take one or more of these philosophies that you all gave to me, and then we're going to lay them out, and I'm going to compare them to the Bible. We're going to see where they intersect, where they diverge. And then as we kind of go through them, we're going to see how everyone, all of you, have something to offer in terms of understanding life, faith, love, and our relationship with God. So that's what we're doing. Does that sound okay to you guys? All right. So today's Pentecost, by the way, it's the idea of the Spirit. The Spirit resides in all of you, and you all have something to give to us. And I just want you to know that. God gives each of you something special to give. And that's what this is really about, this whole series. So today, we're going to begin with a life philosophy that comes to us from Laura Grohaki. Now, Laura, when she gave me her life philosophy, she's one of the first people to send me one, and she laid it out for me. She had five different things that she felt were important to her life philosophy. So the first is be kind. The second is never assume. The third is be present. The fourth is perfect doesn't exist. And the fifth is learn one new thing every day. Now, she didn't just send me those five and she was like, that's my life philosophy. Talk to you later. She actually took the time to lay out, she explained what all these things meant. 
So let's start with be kind. Under be kind, she said, out of all the things that you can be in the world, choose to be kind. Now, I love this statement. Because when you talk about what you can be in the world, what do you think of? You probably think of what? Like your job, right? Like that's what we think of, our employment. But for her, it's about the type of person that you are. She says you can choose to be kind, that kindness is a choice. Now, a lot of us think of kindness as a disposition, as something that's kind of baked into your personality. You're either born kind or you're not. But she says, no, kindness is something that you can choose. Kindness is something that you can be taught. And in her description, she says that every day when she talks to her boys, when she picks them up from school, she says, how were you kind today? She asks them. That's the first question she asks them. And then at night, she will ask them again. She'll say, how do you plan to be kind tomorrow? So every day she does that. And so what you have to realize about Laura, what she's doing, is that she feels that kindness is a virtue that has to be cultivated over years, and it requires this thoughtful repetition in order to create it. It's something where you examine every day and you say, how was I kind today, and how can I be better tomorrow? This is very similar to the way Jesus thinks about the greatest commandment. What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That was from the Shema that you heard this morning. That's from Deuteronomy, right? And he adds in after that, what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I've told you all recently that this idea, this, this idea that Jesus asks us to love God, these are not natural things. We have to choose to love in the way that Jesus loves. That's why the first part of our tagline is what? Choose love, right? Because you're actively making a choice to love in that way, which is hard to do. So it's very similar to what you see Lord talking about with choosing kindness. All right. Her second life philosophy is never assume. And I want to read or say what she said about this. And I think this is really interesting. Demonstrate emotional intelligence by never assuming you know what someone else is going through or their intentions. You don't know if they're struggling with mental health challenges or physical health challenges or emotional challenges. So assume positive intent. Now I find that to be fascinating because how many people in here have heard the advice, never assume? Everybody, right? Everybody has heard that before. But she puts it in terms of emotional intelligence. Now, if we don't know what emotional intelligence is, this doesn't make sense. So let's define that real quick, shall we? All right. Emotional intelligence is the ability to perceive, control, and evaluate emotions in yourself and in others. People who have high levels of emotional intelligence, they tend to be very caring, compassionate, empathetic people. I'll give you an example of what it's like for somebody who has a high level of emotional intelligence. You ever been walking in the grocery store and you have your cart and you accidentally bump into another person's cart? Has that ever happened to you? Okay, happens all the time, right? Now, normally you bump into somebody else's cart, right? What do you do? I laugh at them and I move on, but I, I don't know about you guys. <laughs> so normally what happens is you bump into their cart and you say, sorry, you move on, right? Now, have you ever bumped into somebody's cart and they lose it on you? I've had that happen multiple times. Maybe that's just because it's me, right? But I've had that happen a number of times. Now, what I've seen in situations like this, people who have high levels of emotional intelligence, they realize this isn't about me, right? Like, it's a little thing to bump into somebody's cart. But if they lose it like that, what does it mean? It's about who? It's about them. It's about something they're going through. So you don't take it personally. 
And I've watched people do this where they're in these situations and they say, oh, I'm so sorry. Tell me about what's happening because clearly right now something's happening with them. And I've watched as people have actually opened up. I've never done this myself, but people who have high levels of emotional intelligence, they will do this. And it's amazing to see what people will say when you just say, what's the matter? What's wrong? And so it's that idea that you can see that there's an issue and there's something behind the issue. Jesus did this all the time. This was big with Jesus. So uh, one of my favorite examples of this where he can see the issue behind the issue is the woman who was bleeding for 12 years. So you remember that? The woman comes up, she's been bleeding, and she touches Jesus' robe. And that's a faux pas, right? Like she's not supposed to touch a man. So he turns around, and what does he do? He sees the issue. The issue is somebody touched me. But he sees the issue behind the issue. This woman is suffering. And so he pushes all the people aside, and he focuses on this woman. And he says, I see your pain. I know what you're going through. And this is something we all need to strive for in our lives, to be that way where we see the issue behind the issue. All right, her third life philosophy is be present. This is what she says. Put down all distractions and give something the full attention that it deserves. People will remember how present you are. <clears throat> this is true. They will remember it. Also, in order to truly demonstrate care, empathy, and compassion, you have to be fully present. All right, I love how she takes this back to emotional intelligence, right? She immediately swings it back into that, doesn't she? Because if you're going to be kind, compassionate, empathetic, you got to be locked in with the person. In fact, being present is really the source of having deep, meaningful relationships in life. As a pastor, when I'm talking to somebody, when they're talking to me, and I'm locked into what they're saying, and I'm listening to them, they will often reveal things to me about themselves and what they are going through and really go deep with me. But if I'm distracted, if I'm thinking about other things, if I'm looking at my phone, oh, I got this, come, this person's coming in, right? It breaks that connection. You cannot have deep, meaningful relationships unless you are really present with someone. You cannot truly have deep, honest conversation with them, and that's what you need to do. You need to be present. Again, Jesus was like this all the time. He would be present with people. Two examples of this from the Gospels. Gospel of John has the best examples. Do you remember the woman at the well? He sees this woman, comes to the well, talks to her. She's talking about really tough things in her life, about all the men who she's been with, but yet he's able to be there with her in this moment and guide her through that. Do you also remember the woman who's about to be stoned for adultery? Do you remember that one? She comes out, she's about to be stoned. Jesus draws the line in the sand, and he says, those of you who are without sin, be the first to cast a stone against this woman. And one by one, they walk away. And he says to the woman, where are your accusers? And she says, there are none, sir. And he says, well, neither do I accuse you. Then go and sin no more. He's present to this woman being distraught. And he understands she's made a mistake. She's made a mistake. Don't we all make mistakes? And so he sees her where she is, and he connects with her on that deep level, which leads beautifully into Laura's fourth life philosophy, which is perfect doesn't exist. This is what she says, you can always do better, so simply strive to be the best version of yourself that you can possibly be. Friends, to me, this is one of the most important things in our world right now. The world in which we live <clears throat> is a world that is always promoting a certain version of what you should be. We see this all the time. Do you know how many advertisements you see every single day? Around 3,000 advertisements. On average, you see 3,000. And these advertisements 
they're not just selling you products. They're selling you ideals of normalcy. So when you look at those ads, they say this is what a successful life looks like. If you own these products and you look like these people who are doing these things, then you will be happy. I kind of see that perfection, have you ever seen, you know those little, the pictures of the donkey and they have like the carrot in front of them so they'll keep walking, you know what I'm talking about? But they can't quite get to it. That's what perfection is like for us. It's like right there and you can't quite grasp it. And if you believe that perfection is possible, it becomes this thing that you pursue, but you can never quite get there. And I love Laura's philosophy because in her philosophy, what does she say? She says, huh, not possible, can't get there. So don't bother striving for it. Simply be the best version of yourself. Reach that potential inside of you. Now here, I think that we can really learn something from this as Christians. There are many Christian traditions that fall into the perfection trap. Because they will say, we, we don't do this at this church, but you will hear different churches say, Jesus is perfect, and therefore you need to strive to be like Jesus, even though you'll never reach it. And here, what we tend to say is, I think God expected that you would be flawed. God made you knowing that you would make mistakes. Why are you here? You are not here to achieve perfection. You are here to become the best version of yourself. The spirit inside of you, God's spirit, that is to bring out the potential that exists in who you are and to make you the best person that you can be. The last philosophy that she has is learn one new thing every day. Now, I'm a lifelong learner. That's why I get up here. It's why I like to teach. I love doing that. So this is what she says. This is my why. This is why I get up in the mornings and do what I do. If you learn one new thing that day, then you can consider that a good day. I love that. I think that's fantastic. And this gets down into the core of who she is. That if she can accumulate wisdom, if she can pursue knowledge, this is her purpose in life. And I think that this is the perfect capstone to her Five Lights philosophies because you can see the thread that brings them all together, right? And what is that thread? That thread is intentionality. Intentionality. This woman, Laura, she lives an intentional life. She's not phoning it in. She's not making sure that she's on autopilot, just going through the motions. No. She's intentional about her relationships, about her, the example that she sets. She's intentional about her purpose for life. <clears throat> and in doing that, she sets herself up for this completely different way of living. And I really believe that that is the thing that we need to invest in ourselves. We need to invest in that level of intentionality in our lives. But that's hard to do, isn't it? Isn't it hard to be intentional? I mean, this past year, I have to say, doing anything intentionally was really rough, right? You couldn't. It was just hard for us to do. And in Laura's letter to me that she wrote, she actually talked about where she got this idea from. And it's the same place, interestingly enough, where I got it from, which is there's this thinker that's out today. His name is Simon Sinek. And Simon Sinek, he gave this TED Talk um, more than a decade ago. And it's this really brilliant TED Talk. And he talks about these people who, these leaders who inspire action in others. Where do they come from? What do they do? And his thesis is that great leaders, that their success stems from a fundamentally different starting place than those who are unsuccessful. And he uses the Apple Computer Corporation as an example of this. So, you all know Apple, right? I think you heard of them before. So, 
Apple Computer Corporation. They innovated a much higher level than almost any other computer company in the world. Do they not? I mean, you've seen what they made. They made the Mac back in the 80s. That changed the way we do computing today. They made the iPod, which was how we carry around music, the iPad, the iPhone. These things were revolutionary to our world. And yet, Sinek points out that these people, right, at Apple, they're just another computer company. They're the same engineers that you can get anywhere else. They have access to the same information. What makes them so much better? How are they able to stay so far ahead of the curve? How are they able to make these amazing products? And what he says is that they have a fundamentally different approach to their business than everyone else. And so he sets up these concentric circles. So at the center, you see that question why, right? The next step out, you see how. And the third step out, you see what. All right, now he says that most companies start with what and work their way in to why. So he gives this example. He says, this is what a normal pitch from a company would sound like. We make toasters. Our toasters are energy efficient and ergonomically designed. Want to buy one? So they start with what? A toaster. They move to how it works. It's energy efficient and ergonomically designed. And then, finally, they move to why. We made it so you could buy it. What, how, why, right? Apple, they start with why and work their way out to what. So a message from Apple sounds something like this. Here at Apple, we believe that you should think different. Here at Apple, we believe you should challenge the status quo. Here at Apple, we believe you deserve nothing less than perfection. How do we do this? We do this by creating beautiful products that are cutting edge, sleek, and sophisticated. Want to buy one? <laughs> of course you do. Hey, if you've got an Apple iPhone in your pocket or in your purse, take it out and hold it up for me right now. I want to see how many people have one. Oh my goodness. No wonder they're successful. Okay, you can put them down. All right. Now think about that. Now most of you, I'm sure that when you were thinking about buying your phone, you bought it because you say, this is a good product, right? That's why you bought it. But underneath that is why, why you bought it. You bought it because once you believe in their message, once you believe in their why, it doesn't matter what they make because the product is simply an extension of that message. So if you think differently, if you challenge the status quo, if you believe you deserve nothing less than perfection, then you're gonna believe that message resonates with you. It represents you, does it not? And so it doesn't matter. You're gonna buy everything that they make because those products are a reflection of who you are. And this is why, remember back in the day when Apple used to release a product and people would be standing in line for days for that? That's why they would do that. They would stand in line for days, and it's also why Apple is one of the most profitable companies in the world. So next says it's not what you do, it's why you do it. Not what you do, it's why you do it. And this is the fundamental message in the Bible. So we read from Deuteronomy, this is the Shema, arguably the most important scripture for all the Jewish people. And we know it because Jesus uses it, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There is a second part to this that we don't know because Jesus doesn't use it, but it's just as important that's in this. So let's take a look at this. 
Keep these words that I am commanding. And who's the I? It's God, right? Keep the word, keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away and when you lie down and when you rise. This is a message of intentionality, is it not? Sounds a lot like what Laura does, doesn't it? With her children. The whole idea is that these words are to inform the way you live your life, that you are to learn, practice, and embody them. In a very real sense, the Bible is like a life philosophy. You are to take these ideas and they are to inform your values and ethics. Now, the problem is that if you've ever met a religious person, have you ever met a religious person before? <laughs> now, if you've ever met somebody who's religious, what you may have noticed is that religious people tend to like to take the teachings and make them very black and white, right? This is right, this is wrong. I'm not saying you all do that. I'm just saying religious people do that. So, so right and wrong, okay? And so what happens is, because the Bible, the Bible really deals in a lot of gray area, but when you make it about right and wrong, then what happens is it's very easy to go through the motions. Oh, this is right, this is wrong, right? And then you're on autopilot. And once you're on autopilot, what happens? It removes the intentionality. It removes the why from it, does it not? So, Jesus, he rails against this kind of thinking in the Gospels. Jesus... What he saw when he was alive is that the leaders of his faith, they cared more about what they were doing than why they were doing it. So he saw people, they were out on the street corners, they were praying. Is praying a bad thing? No. But they're out on the street corners and they're praying so people would think they were pious. He would see people giving money to the temple. Is giving money to the church a bad thing? No. But what he saw was that people were ignoring the poor and the destitute on the streets. What he saw was that people were living for God. A bad thing? No. But they weren't loving their neighbors in their hearts. He felt that the Jewish faith was becoming more about what, what, doing what was expected of you than doing those things for the right reason. Jesus is one of the first rabbis to say, motivations matter. Why you do something matters. We see this in the Sermon on the Mount. You all, you, I'm sure you're familiar with this. If somebody strikes you on the right cheek, what does he say? turn the other also, right? That's a message of intentionality, isn't it? Somebody strikes you, what's your initial reaction? Fight back. Stop. Think. Don't strike back. Love your enemy. This is why we ended, or why we read, the end of his Sermon on the Mount. And what does he say in that? He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. My friends, a message again of intentionality. When you make Jesus' philosophy your philosophy, you will be living a life not only of fulfillment, but you're going to live a life that makes a difference in the world. I truly believe that. And so what I want you to take away from all of this today is that we need to be intentional. We need to be like Laura. We need to ask why. Don't start with what. Don't start with how. Start with why. And ask that question over and over again. And indeed, we do that in this church. What's our tagline? Choose love. Be the light. Change the world. Why? How? What? 
What's the why? We choose to love the way Jesus loves, right? We, that is our why in life. It's why we exist. We love the way he loves. Our how? Be the light. We go out, and that's the whole idea of we're in the world. That's soul work and social work. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back. A few weeks ago, I preached on this. Soul work, social work, very important for our mission in this church. That's our how. And, of course, the what is we change the world. When you make Jesus' philosophy your philosophy, then you really can change the world for the better. I want to thank Laura Grohaki for her willingness to give me her life philosophy. She's with her dad today. He's turning 70, so, uh, you know, she didn't have a chance to be here. But we have so many more of these to talk about, so many more important life philosophies. And I just wanted to say again, it's so good to be back. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org. For more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Prez family of faith.